They say you can't take it with you. But one man thought he would try. He called together his three best friends, a doctor, a lawyer, and a pastor. He says, they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to give you each an envelope with $30,000 cash in it. And just as they uh, close the casket and lay me down in the ground, I want you to drop that envelope in there. Well, after the memorial service, uh, the pastor was feeling so guilty, and so he said to the other two, you know, I just couldn't do it. We're building a youth wing, and so I kept back 10000 so we could build that, and I put 20000 in. The doctor said, boy, I'm sure glad you said that. I was feeling kind of bad, too. We're building a new clinic, and I just couldn't do it, so I kept back 20000 and put 10000 in the casket. The lawyer said, I am ashamed of you guys. Don't you guys keep your word? And they say, you really? You put all 30000 in the casket? He said, I sure did. I wrote him a check for the full amount. Money is a subject of interest to everybody. A recent survey found the number one uh, interest for people is family closeness. Uh, they said that during this year of COVID, family is what has brought them through, or lack of family, not being able to get together with all their family. And their second was more money. Uh, Guardrails are found on roads all across our country. Uh, Guardrails keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas. Uh, guardrails are never put in dangerous areas. You don't put a guardrail halfway down a cliff after a car has already crashed. You put the guardrail like 15, 20 feet in from the cliff. Guardrails will hurt your car, but they'll protect your life. Uh, we understand guardrails with driving. What about constructing guardrails for other areas of our lives? where we are likely to cause far more damage. We can all agree that there are certain areas of life where if we cross certain lines, we hurt ourselves. These aren't even religious things. These are just practical things. If you're new to church, you don't have to be religious to appreciate guardrails. Today I want to talk about some guardrails Jesus suggests with regard to our money. Uh, Jesus, uh, everybody agrees, is a fascinating teacher. He talks about subjects that people understand. Uh, he, he tells stories. And one of the things he talked a lot about, probably more than any other thing, was money. Because people are interested in money. When I talk to people about the impact COVID has had on their lives, almost Every time the subject of money comes up, yeah, I lost my job because of COVID, or I, my hours were reduced, or our, my business was just crushed the first three months. Now it's come back, or my business has been hurt ever since it began, or some people say the opposite. My business actually has increased this last year. I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you have a Bible, uh, to Luke 12, 13 to 21. This is a famous parable of Jesus. It's an unusual parable because it begins and ends 
with an explanation. Jesus doesn't usually do that. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Apparently his older brother was hanging on to the inheritance and not sharing it with his younger brother. The man wanted Jesus to intervene on his behalf. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus told him it was not his place to settle these sort of things. Jesus came to bring people to God, not to bring property to people. Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard. That he uses the word guard is our clue that he's about to share with us a guardrail. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The the, The situation the man may have been facing may not have been fair, but Jesus cut to the issue behind the question, the man's greed. The guardrail, Jesus suggests, is one of the most important principles about money that Jesus ever shared. I think it's the one that has helped me more than anything else as I've tried to navigate money. God owns everything. You own nothing. David writes, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. David says, God owns it all. Paul writes, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. The fact that we own nothing when we enter and exit this world really tells us that we never own anything. We just manage it for the years God gives us on this earth. A wealthy Puerto Rican man was giving some tourists a tour. And uh, the sun was high in the air. It was a warm day. The, 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 the waves were breaking on the beach and racing along the white sand. A wind was blowing through the palm trees. People were just soaking in the beauty of the paradise. And a woman asked the man, she said, I understand, and he was known as one of the wealthiest mans in Puerto Rico. She says, I understand you own all this. And she was kind of pointing out all the, the summer houses, the, the condominiums, the farms, the, uh, the, the crops. And he paused for a moment and didn't say anything. And then he smiled and he says, not really. And she says, that's, that's not what I heard. He said, no, God owns it, and I just manage it for him. Once we recognize that God owns everything and we own nothing and take our place as a manager, it transforms the way we think about money and possessions. When we recognize that God owns everything and transfer all ownership of our possessions to him, it leads to three more guardrails. Jesus shares with regards to money. First, watch out for achieving security on possessions we do not own. We don't own anything, so obviously we shouldn't be achieving security on possessions. The man Jesus was talking to to was looking forward to his inheritance. 
He'd already thought about what he could do with it. He's already making plans. It was going to move him to a new level financially, and he was going to be secure. But Jesus wanted him to understand this guardrail. Since we don't own anything and we don't take anything with us when we die, obviously we can't depend on our material possessions to give us long-term security. We cannot trust our wealth for long-term security because wealth cannot take us beyond the grave. Money cannot even carry us through this life. Solomon writes, Do not wear yourself out to grow rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. 65% of the people in our country made a lot of money during the last four years in their 401ks, the stock market, and other investments. But Solomon says, watch out. It can vanish. Some people are very poorly prepared for an economic downturn. Other than their 401ks, they don't have much in the way of savings. Uh, The U.S. economy has been very strong the last four years. But nearly 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. 45% have nothing saved. They're living paycheck to paycheck. That's Go Bank, December of 2019. Solomon warns us not to seek security through our money. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. They think they're secure. He says, no. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The New Testament makes it clear that we're to put our faith in Christ's work on the cross. Instead of depending on wealth for our security, we're supposed to depend on Jesus Christ. Here's another guardrail. Watch out for pride in possessions we do not own. Since we don't own anything, certainly you don't want to be proud of them. And then Jesus begins this parable. And he told them this famous parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. The rich man celebrates a great harvest. If he doesn't do something with all the money he's going to make, he's going to move into a higher tax bracket. So what does he do? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. So far, so good. There's nothing wrong with working hard and getting a good harvest. Nothing wrong with working and being rewarded for it. Rather than spending it all, the man decides to sink the money back into the company. He'll build builder, bigger barns. To house his harvest. God has no problem with this. The problem occurs with what the man does next. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, 
Ink, eat, drink, and be merry. The problem comes when he becomes proud. He thinks he's set. He thinks he's secure. He doesn't need God. He's got his money. He's not thinking about how to spend it wisely. He's not thinking about helping people. He makes it all about himself. Moses told the people of Israel before they entered the promised land, remember they had come out of uh, Egypt 400 years as being slaves. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. All the miracles he did bringing you out of Egypt, don't forget by not keeping his commands and his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The problem becomes when we become proud. Jesus goes on with the parable, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus calls this man a fool. Not for working hard, not for building a successful business, but for not observing the guardrail. God owns everything. You own nothing. Jesus ends the parable with these harrowing words. Now, some of Jesus' parables, he just tells them with no explanation. Some he gives kind of an elaborate explanation at the end. This ends with just a harrowing one line. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And this leads to one more guardrail. So let's review. First guardrail, watch out for achieving security on possessions we don't own. The second one, watch out for pride in possessions we do not own. And the third one, be rich toward God. Jesus says the man was a fool. How long we live is uncertain. Uh, the really stupid thing was the man's assumption that he was in control of his life. Our future is not in our control. We can die in a car accident. We can die of COVID, a heart attack, or cancer. The only certain thing is God. So we are to be rich toward God. So how can we be rich toward God? A couple things. One, make God top priority. God is not against us working. God is not against us making a good living. He's not against us making financial plans. He's not against us being successful. He's not against us enjoying good things in this life. He's the one that created all this for us to enjoy. But he created us to, above all, enjoy him. So he calls us to make him our top priority. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, make him top priority, and his righteousness and all these things 
will be yours as well. He says if we put him as top priority, he promises he'll give us all the things we need to serve him. If we put him above other things and we put people above things, we're rich toward God. A mother died in Chicago and she left her three children a sizable estate. Well, two of them felt like they'd been cheated. It was not equally divided. And so they were all upset with their older brother. They lawyered up. They stopped talking to him. Stopped, the family stopped seeing each other. Then Christmas Eve rolled around and they all decided to go to church. They're sitting there and they were singing Silent Night. And the pastor stopped the song. He says, during this next verse, I want you to turn to the people around you and tell them what they mean to you. And the siblings came together and they said, let's stop all this silliness. Not worrying about the inheritance is being rich toward God. Troy grew up with an older brother. Somewhere in high school, he got into the wrong group of guys, gang, got on the wrong side of the law, and he became estranged from Jory and his parents. For decades, he never talked to them, never saw them. He was so estranged from them, he didn't even come to dad's funeral or mom's. Well, after they died, their attorney divided the estate, half to Jory, half to her brother Jim. But when it came to possessions, furniture, and some personal belongings, they just left it for them to figure it out. So Jory called her brother. He lived in San Bernardino. He said, uh, and she said, uh, well, here's what we have. She started listing all the pieces of furniture, the personal belongings. What do you want? He says, I want it all. She gulped. She thought, well, I've had mom and dad all these years. I've been so close to them, and he hasn't had that. So she said, okay, I'll send it all down to you. Well, he was shocked. And as a result of that, his heart began to melt and he and Jory began talking every week on the phone. And he became softer and softer. And eventually she had the privilege of leading him to Christ. Or maybe I could say leading him back to Christ because he grew up with the same Christian upbringing as she did. And eventually he moved to Portland to be with Jory and our nine kids. Not caring about the inheritance, but caring more about your relationship with your brother is being rich toward God. Is there something you can, tangible you can do to make God your top priority? God suggests a way that is my second suggestion for being rich toward God. Give God the first percentage of your income. Solomon writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Solomon says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're to give back to God the first part of our income. We give to Him first and then we live on the rest. The promise is that if you do this, God will take care of you and bless you. The prophet Malachi tells us that when we don't give back to God the first part of our income, we make a mistake. He writes, God's talking, yet you rob me, people of Israel. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Uh, The benchmark for giving, suggested in the Bible, is 10%. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Then God offers a challenge and a promise. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Here's the challenge. Says the Lord Almighty, and see... If you give me the first part of your income, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says if you trust him and give back to him the first tenth of your income, he will bless you so much you'll not have room enough to store it. Now, whenever I talk about this guardrail, giving back to God the first tenth, I realize there are two groups of people in the room, probably many uh, variations. The first are those who make a practice of tithing. They've done it maybe for years. And almost without exception, they say, it's the best decision of my life. I never regret it. God has, I've trusted God and he's blessed me and taken care of me. And I highly recommend you do the same. The second group are, they, are, are those who say, I can't afford to tithe. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much I would have to give if I tithed? Besides that, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. If I began that practice, I would go belly up financially. I can't do it. That's why I say, give God the first percentage of your income. Give something to him off the top. Every penny helps. I know a number of people who are not believers who have made this their practice. So if you're not giving anything, then give 1% of your income. If you're giving something, then bump it up to 3% or 5%. You'll never be able to give 10%. Unless you simply start giving. Teenager, young person, the time to start is now. Maybe you're scared. But when you give, it's an adventure with trusting God's promise and watching Him provide for you. You watch Him throw open the floodgates of heaven so you have so much blessing you don't have room enough for it. You watch him help you live better on 90% than you ever did when you were spending it all on yourself. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured 
to you. This is the paradox in giving. If you release a percentage of your income, he will give back to you. It's a promise. Critics will tell you, I'm telling you to do this so God will give back to you. I'm always amazed at the number of people who object to the promise Jesus offers. But the fact remains that Jesus promises that when we give, we receive back more than we give. It's the financial guardrail. That's what it's based on. God owns everything. You own nothing. You're simply giving giving back to him what he already owns. When we invest, the best investment nets the highest interest with the least risk, right? That's precisely the sort of investment opportunity Jesus offers us. Some people think that we're nuts to give a percentage of our income or to give 10% or go beyond 10%. Because they think when we give to God, it's gone. They couldn't be more wrong. When we give to God, we're not giving away our money. We're giving him back some of his money. We're investing in an eternal reward. We're becoming rich toward God. If you'd like to take up this challenge, I encourage you to go to our website, portlandcommunitychurch.org. And uh, when you get there, click on Give. And then uh, under Give, the tab, three-month challenge. You commit to giving God a percentage of your income for three months. At the end of three months, if you're not happy with what God has done in your life, we'll give you all your money back. You're the one that stands behind this offer, right, Carrie? You, you write the check back, right? I'm, I, yeah, it's in the mail. I'm, I'm joking with you because I think we've been offering this for four years and not one person has asked for their money back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus' teaching about this guardrail, that you own everything and we own nothing. Help us understand this, that we're simply managers. We don't own anything. Let's Help us not build our security around money, become proud of our money, but recognize it's all yours and we're just managing it the years you give us on this earth. If you want to tell God that today, Maybe you've told him that before, but just recognize again, God, I I understand again that you own everything and I don't own anything. And I'm not going to become proud about it or build my security around it. You you tell him that right now. If you want to take up the three-month challenge to give God a percentage of your income, you tell him that right now and, and tell him you're going to do that. You pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world and all the amazing things he taught us. And and he talks so much about money because money's important to us. Help us to recognize that you own it all and we don't own anything. We just manage it in Jesus' name.